Today's podcast isn't sponsored by anyone, because apparently I have a bad attitude. Me, a bad attitude. I'll tell you who has a bad attitude, all of you. But that won't be a problem after I complete my plan for worldwide domination. Now, where did I put my to-do list? All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Morris, aka Russ, or Russ, aka Morris, and with me today is Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Hello, Russ. Hello, Peter. I, I, hello, Russ. I see you've brought a friend. I have. I've got two friends. Really? We've got two special guests on the podcast today. <sighs> one of your special guests is an awful lot cuter than the other one. This is kind of... <laughs> Yeah, well, and you're not cute friend. one. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This special friend is Kevin Culp from Pelgrane Press. Hello! And you are responsible for, I say that like it's a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing, you are responsible for yes. um, the game known as Time Watch, which hit Kickstarter, what, two years ago? Was oh, it oh, oh my goodness, no, more like five years ago. Maybe yeah. Five years that. ago? Yeah, wow. long time, man. We're old. Does Super not old. feel like five years. No, that's because I think it finally got fulfilled uh, three years ago. So, you know. Oh, right. There's a lag okay. in there. <laughs> it's, it's, all part, it's all about time travel. So that's why that'll, you may be confused. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that'll kickstart a story. Okay, then. And, um, so, and the yeah, other guest the, is Hudson. It's Hudson. Um, ah! Puppy extraordinaire who yes. um, is kind of gone to sleep now, unfortunately. Or well, fortunately. Well. One of those two things. Yes. Yeah, I, he's, cur- I, he's curled up in the corner of the room there. He's a, he's a, he's a little black uh, golden retriever um, Coddy Cross. That's and he moved in on Friday. That's Today is Monday, so he's been here two days. And, yeah, uh, yeah he's settled in beautifully. Yes. So is he's he, now the official podcast dog. He seems like the goodest of boys. He yes. is a good boy. Yes. Every so podcast far. needs an official podcast dog. That's just the I rules. Think so. I you, think know, so. you can't break the rules. I know, right? If you don't have one, you're not really trying now, are you? Yeah. I think say. so. I agree. Yeah. Right then, shall we do some news? Yes, that. What sort of news should we do today? Should we do I some RPG should... news? Or... How about Gen Con news? Gen oh. Con news? Interesting. Well, yes, I suppose we could talk about that. That's some like, sort of little shindig that happens over in the States, isn't it? A little shindig, yes. A, a little shindig with a little exclusive thing with about, what, 70,000 people. Oh, yes, yes. Intimate. Intimate. Yeah, yeah. That's how I like to think of it. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 try, I, I think I only have about that many people for some of my parties. So, yeah. Hmm. I think that might not be true. Uh, you besmirched my honour, sir. <laughs> you could just go to Gen Con and claim it was one of your parties. Yeah, just adopt it. Uh, so what's actually been announced at Gen Con? Uh, well, um, there was, there was, there was a, a, a small release. A small release? Oh, yes. Yeah, so. Yes, a small oh, release what? of a small game known as Pathfinder. I've heard of that That's before. how you pronounce it. Pathfinder is how you pronounce it. Pathfinder. That's the official pronunciation of that, of that game. Pathfinder 2, in fact. Is, it, is this, oh, is this uh, some little-known sequel from uh, maybe a French studio? Some little indie game, I think. Yeah, Pathfinder. No, we do not know. <laughs> this is what we have. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Pathfinder 2 was finally unveiled and released to the public. Um, I don't know how well the sales went at the actual convention. I assume that they pretty much sold thousands and thousands and thousands of them. I know that I saw some pictures and they had like piles bigger than my house of Pathfinder <laughs> 2 books. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, no, I mean, they, were, they were literally there were, there were photos of them lying on top of these piles of books <laughs> that's how many they had nice. so um yeah um yeah I, I don't know whether they sold out or what happened but i know i know that i've seen an awful lot of people talking about pathfinder 2 oh. last week tell you what was interesting was you know the amazon sales charts sure oh, and there's okay. one for fantasy and gaming i think it is one of the sub charts normally mm-hmm. D's and dnd's basically been number one on that chart for the last four or five years mm-hmm. yeah I mean, it's quite a it's quite a, a niche category, obviously. So D and D is going to be at the top of it, but yeah. briefly, uh. just briefly, for one day, for one day, D and D was not at the top of that chart. I think that was last Thursday. Briefly, Pathfinder Two hit the top of that chart for a day. Well, there we go. Which is the first time that's happened. It's the first time it's not been D and D in about five years. Impressive. Mm-hmm. It is impressive. Well, that's yeah. glorious. You know, we've seen with Fourth Edition D and D when Pathfinder really sort of took the lead in the industry and then as 5e came out and sort of people uh, you know not everybody but some people moved on over it's nice to see paizo having the opportunity to really seize that once again mm-hmm. if, if, i know you've seen it uh, peter have you seen uh, pathfinder 2 yet kev you've had a chance uh, i haven't seen it yet no i've uh, i've got a copy of it and uh, we did a big um episode on it last week actually but um i'm i'm really liking it Yes. I wasn't sure. I was, I honestly, I was, you know, I did the play test. I was unsure. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming into it, I was, you know, you know, I, was, I wanted to like it. You know, I, I want all the best for those guys because they're really nice people. Um, but I was really super pleased to find that, um, yeah, I really, really, really like it. Yes. I liked the encumbrance rules, the book rules, so much that I filed the serial numbers off and have already stolen them. I'm already using them in my games. Oh, I've stolen the initiative rules, definitely. Uh, oh, uh, the initiative rules I was thinking about, but the bulk rules, like the carrying things. I'm running this West Marches game, which I've got hmm. two two games out so far, like, and they've opened hilarious. Uh, like Players are actually running away from things in 5th Ed D&D because they're like, hmm. oh, oh, wait, wait, no. We cannot fight those things. We're going to run away now. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> run. Wait, are you saying D&D players ran away from something? Yes. That oh. never happens. Oh, my Four players times. will run away from things all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but hang on a second. Peter, did you just say that you stole the encumbrance rules? Like, I don't even know who you are anymore. Did you, you steal um, overbearing and grappling next? Um, well, I, I see no need to steal grappling. But basically, <laughs> the encumbrance rules are so simple... It's like, it was the enemy shame not to. Well, that, that wasn't the only release at um, Gen Con. No, no, there's loads of other stuff. What was it? Well, um, the uh, Shadowrun 6th edition was released at Gen Con, ah, finally. Bum, bum, bum. Um, so what happened was um, the actual release to the public apparently doesn't happen until October or so. Mm-hmm. But they had some at Gen Con, which they sold out of. Of course. Which I guess is good news. I don't know how many they had. I saw some pictures of their booth, and it looks like they had quite a lot. Mm-mm. But um, they, they, sold, they sold out of those, I'm hearing. Um, but what's interesting is there's already 10 pages of errata. <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, oh dear, how unfortunate. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that seems um, like they are paying attention to errata. Good for them. Yeah, getting feedback from the community. I'm wondering if by the time October comes round and that final public release, proper public release happens, I wonder mm. if that 10 pages of errata will be incorporated into that book. Oh, I don't well, know. I'm, I'm guessing here. It's 10 pages right now. I mean, they've only had it for like five days or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is a thing. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. A, man, when my books come out, I get angry if I find a single typo afterwards. Um, yeah. yeah. It's frustrating. Oh, it's yeah. always where you, just, you open your book. Oh, and there's that typo. There you exactly, go. First yeah. thing you see. Yeah. First thing you see. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, tradition. It's see. tradition. Just, just roll it. Yeah. <laughs> or people um, who, uh, they've got your book, your 300-page book, and their only comment on the entire 300 pages, the entire three years of work that you put in, the only comment they've got is, on page 291, I saw you. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, that's, that's your takeaway. <laughs> that's your only takeaway from that book. They, think of it this way. They enjoyed your book so much that they read the whole thing and noticed it. I guess yeah. so, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Or they opened it and that was the first thing they saw. And, well, oh, one of the two. Yeah. One of those two things, yeah. Probably the first one. Almost that Let's go with the first one, yeah. yeah exactly. Definitely, definitely the first one. Yeah, exactly. uh, what else happened at Gen Con? Um, Diana Jones Awards. Diana Jones Awards. Have you got that? I haven't actually seen who won that one. Did you? Uh, did yes, you Ale- that, Alex Roberts won that with Starcrossed. Fantastic. That was yeah. the actual RPG, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, was so couple- are, you, are you familiar with Starcrossed? Uh, I'm not, but I know oh. there was a couple of board games and something else. Yeah, yeah. So, so Starcross uh, is. Yep. Yes, that was it. Yeah. Right. Starcross is a game that's built on the same engine that Epidiah Ravishal's Dread horror game is. Right. It uses a Jenga tower oh. instead oh, of dice. Oh, okay. And okay. what it what it is? This is actually incredibly brilliant. So let me talk about it for a second. The Ooh. idea is that you're simulating sort of a romance thing where there are two people. It's a two person game. Two people mm-hmm. are playing. You should not be having a relationship with each other. It's a really bad idea. And the uh, and as you play, as you start pulling out the blocks of the tower as the tower gets shakier, that's symbolizing how shaky your resolve is getting about not having a relationship <laughs> with each other. Um, and you know, so that seems sort of like a normal uh, a uh, a normal romance game. Except the thing is, this is incredibly applicable to lots of situations. So here's an example. Ooh. I have a friend who I'm going to be playing this with. One of us is going to be playing basically Elric, and the other one is basically going to be playing Stormbringer, right? Really? Somebody who ha- who has a uh, an intelligent magic sword um, mm. that wants something from them, and they're trying to resist. An intelligent um, you could evil play- magic sword. Sure, well, like, sure, right? You know what? We don't know. I like, I like souls. Maybe you should get more souls for me. How about, <laughs> how about you kill more people, eat more souls? You're yeah. like, no, that's wrong. Exactly. I mean, and you could play it with. Nice. Yes, you could play it at, with somebody um, like the movie She, somebody who is falling in love with their with the AI on their phone. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of different ways to play it, and it's just this beautiful game design. Um, so that's uh, that's one I'm uh, I'm a big fan of. Fantastic. Yeah. Hmm. What else? What else have we got? We got uh, an announcement from Green Ronin. Oh, that's Ooh. right. Yeah, the fifth season role-playing game. Yes. Again, another thing I'm not personally familiar with. I don't know if either of you two are. Fifth season is a fantasy novel series. Yeah, it's it's from N.K. Jemison. It's uh, her Broken ah. Earth trilogy. I haven't yeah. read it myself, but I heard fantastic <laughs> things. Hmm. Well, so I certainly look forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, they've literally just announced it, so I guess we'll hear more over the coming year or so. Yeah. Was there anything from uh, Pell Grain? Uh, well, since I wasn't at the seminar where they announced yep. new releases, I don't know. <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's me kind of being funny, right? Um, I've uh, had my head in the sand uh, getting the Swords of the Serpentine out the door. And we'll talk mm. more about that, right? So I'm yeah, actually yeah. not up to speed about what's coming out in the, in the shorter run. Uh, ah. the, uh, so I'm super excited to hear the recording of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so... Wizards of the Coast, Kate Welsh. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. has hinted uh-huh. at a celebrity-written D&D book for 2020. Oh, like with Deborah Ann Wallen, that sort of person. Or... Yes. Uh, let me call it up. Uh, so what do we have? We have Critical Role's uh, Marisha Ray and uh-huh. True Blood's Deborah Ann Wall. Uh-huh. Um, we don't know anything else about it other than okay. that. Nice. Um, some people seem to be suggesting this is a collection of smaller adventures. And there might be some other writers involved as well, but mm-hmm. okay. yeah, who, who yeah. knows? Who knows? We'll find yeah. out sometime, I guess. Here we out when it's out, and we shall uh, um, look forward to seeing it. They, they did say that some of it will have work from uh, DM's Guild authors who haven't yet been published by Wizards of the Coast. Oh, nice. Mm. But again, I don't know who. Yeah. So it's kind of a half of a news item now, really, wasn't it? Is it yeah, it's like you know, a, it, a, hint, oh. a hint of a news item. <laughs> Well, we seem to be like a bit further down the road, so it's like sort of the the teaser for the trailer for the uh, announcement of the true release. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Keith Baker, yes, and Jen Ellis, who uh, who are working together on a tabletop RPG of the Adventure Zone, ah, which is a yes. podcast okay. and comic book. And I think it's the podcast that won our most popular podcast of 2018, if I remember Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. the Adventure Zone has done very well, yeah. So it's kind of a humorous podcast. It's based loosely on D&D, and it features the uh, McElroy family, uh, Justin, Travis, and Griffin, and their father, Clint. Yes. Um, So this is Keith Baker from uh, Eberron, Jen Ennis, his partner in crime, um, at Two Together Studios. And yeah, no more details than that. Just that they're developing a tabletop game along with the McElroys based Ooh. on the podcast and the graphic novels. And why not? Well, that sounds exciting. The, sound Mac- exciting. the McElroys are hilarious. This, uh, oh, is that this how bo- it's said? McElroys. McElroys, yeah. right. Yeah, it just bodes well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 my ability to say names. That's your surname properly, <laughs> Kevin. is like, it's just... <laughs> it's not how we roll on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Goodman Games, or, or should I call it Goodman Games, as it is. <laughs> Better known. Um, has announced another of their classic TSR um, original adventures reincarnated. Did they say what? So, you, uh, so uh, Goodman Games takes these old TSR adventures mm-hmm. and does a D&D 5th edition conversion plus the original adventure plus a variant or two, plus additional material, and yep. puts all this together in a big, you know, brick-sized hardback book. Mm-hmm. And they've done this three times so far. They've done Into the Borderlands. <laughs> yes. uh, they did The Isle of Dread. And yes. they did Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Right. And this time they're doing 1982's The Lost City by Tom Morphe. So that's the one in the pyramid, I believe. Isn't yep, it? that's the, the one in the pyramid. If I recall correctly, yeah, yeah. Ah, I'd be hoping for a pyramid with the lost city. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got in the news? What else have we got? I'm trying to whip through this as quickly as possible because there's so much of it. Um, Paizo had a lot of announcements to make. Oh yes, upcoming yes. products. Oh, so. they've got like a ton of stuff coming out. They've got yeah. like a setting book for Galarian. Yeah. They've got yeah. like. Um, um, a lot of it's things like a critical and fumble decks. Uh, they've got what's oh, it? They've um, got a lot more than this coming. Um, they've about announced, about, new they've announced about, 10, about ten new products now. They announced. Yeah. Uh, uh. So what have we got? I'll whip through these really quick, so I'm not going yes. to die because it's going to take ages otherwise. So um, we got Speak the round. Lost Omens World Guide, which we already knew about. Yep. We got the Lost Omens Character Guide. 
mm-hmm. um, which has uh, new ancestries, which is their word yep. for races, the hobgoblin, leshy, and lizard folk, mm-hmm. and um, new heritages and ancestry feats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the critical hit deck we knew about, the fumble deck we knew about, mm-hmm. uh, the pawn box I think we probably knew about. Sounds yeah, like the sort probably. of thing we would have known about. Little minis, uh, all good. Uh, bestiary battle cards. Ooh. Just a, a card for each of yeah. the monsters in the bestiary. Like a spell card, but more monstery. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lost Omens Gods and Magic in January 2020. Um, this is the gods of the Age of Lost Omens. Fantastic. Useful uh, for your clerics. The Lost Omens is, of course, what the, is how they're now referring to um, Galarian. Galarian. Yep. Yeah. Mm. They decided, well, no one knows what Galarian is, but you know what? The Age of Lost Omens sounds, sounds awesome. awesome. Yes, it does. Let's listen to that. It's a good I, name. It's yeah, a good name. I know. It's it's good name. Uh, what else have we got? We've got the Extinction Curse Adventure Path starting in January, Ooh. where the players are members of a circus troupe. That sounds well, kind of fun. I guess. <laughs> I mean, it sort of ignores the fact that half the people I know are, are scared of clowns, but I guess you can get past <laughs> that. Hey, Kudorophobia, yeah. it's a real thing. It yeah. is a real thing. I, I've never yeah. quite understood it myself, but yeah, people are scared of clowns. Well, they're like really, scared of spiders, so, and they, some people uh, are Arachnophobia is pretty legit because they were like horrible terrier and they've got eight legs. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's like, a, I think it's because um, clowns look like dead people and there's like a sort of an instinctive disgust. I think about it's just that. because of things like it, isn't it? And stuff like that. Oh, it matters, it's, I think, oh, yeah. Oh. Or, or is it from before that? That's where it really kicked in, I suspect. I reckon so. Yes. I blame Pennywise. Yep. Okay. I blame yep. him for most things, to be fair. Fair. Uh, what else we got from Pathfinder? We got the Pathfinder Game Mastery Guide. Mm-hmm. Um, this is for GMs, has chase rules, research, vehicle combat, how to design monsters, uh, big NPC stat block collection, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We've got a massive dungeon crawl. Uh, to launch a new campaign called the Dead God's Hand. Okay. Um, it's for first to seventh level characters. And Ooh. it explores the history of Aroden, Aroden, uh. Arodin, I don't know yep. how you pronounce it, the Dead God of Humanity. Uh, we have Absalon, City of Lost... This, this is a long list, sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. Absalom, <laughs> Read faster. Yeah. Absalom, City Speak of Lost us. Omens, a, a great big source book detailing the enormous city of Absalom. Yep. Uh, we've got a poster map folio for that city. Ooh, shiny. We have the Agents of Edgewatch Adventure Path, July to December next year, where you are members of the Absalom City Watch and must solve a series of bizarre murders, thefts, and destruction mm-hmm. carried on a crime wave. Fantastic. Yeah. Best Three Two, coming in spring. Mm-hmm. 300 more monsters. Wow. And then, I guess this is the big one, because this is going to be July next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gen Con. Is Gen Con in July next year? I guess uh, Gen-, Gen Con next year is July 30th through August 2nd. Oh, there we go. Okay, so Advanced Players Guide coming out with Gen Con next year. <laughs> We've got four yeah. new classes, yeah. the Investigator, Oracle, Swashbuckler, and Witch, and ten new ancestries. Azumar, Catfolk, Changeling, Duskwalker, Dampire, Kobold, Orc, Ratfolk, Eifling? Tifling? Eifling? Or Tengu. I don't know if that's a typo or if that's what it's called. Alrighty. And there we go. That, that, that is the Pathfinder news. I went through that as fast as I could there because there's loads of It was blistering. It was blistering, wasn't it? You were just gabbling. <laughs> oh, I, I could, t- I could, I could tell you were captivated. Yeah, captivated. Uh, what else? Oh, we had the eddies, of course. Oh, That's yes, right. yes, yes. 
the Ennies took place on Friday, and Chaosium won everything. Yes. That's it in brief. Chaosium just won, like, yeah. I don't know, what have you got? Win it. Uh, uh. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Pelgrane won for Fall Delta Green, which I suppose is Woo-hoo. Chaosium related, so okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, the real winner from Gen Con uh, and the Ennies was Cthulhu. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was a Cubicle 7 uh, won Best Writing for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh, Sly Flourish's Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Oh, that is such yes. a good book. Have you read it? We, 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 yes. spoke to, we spoke to Mike a few weeks ago on the oh, podcast, good. and yeah. he got gold for Best Electronic Book. Fabulous. Good work. Uh, yeah, I mean, I won't go through them all, but um, we'll I mean, stick a link we in can't the show notes. Claim credit for that, but we'd love to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ken and Robin talk about stuff. Best podcast. Mm-hmm. I see someone decided to nominate them this year. <laughs> I, think, I think they win most years, though, don't they? No, so they I only th- win when they get nominated. Did they not last year? No, no. They had won, I think, four or five years in a row, and then didn't yeah. get nominated last year. Um, probably oh. because they'd won uh, every time they'd been nominated. Yeah. So. yeah. Massive and Actually, devoted fan it's base. A, it's a really good podcast. I'm not yeah, surprised, to be honest. Right, what else we got in the news? What else we got? Uh, Ed Greenwood mm. has started a column over on EN World. He has. So he's joined Jim Ward yes. and Jonathan Tweet, who mm-hmm. both currently have columns. And Ed Greenwood is the latest. And uh, his first uh, his first article was How the Realms Began, where he talks about himself as a kid reading various fantasy and science fiction stuff and how he started writing stories came across D&D, wasn't that into D&D at first and then came round to it and then started rewriting The Forgotten Realms to fit into the D&D rules. Yes. It's a really, really interesting article. Mm. I liked it. Apparently he was having all his stories taken to, uh, taken to work by his dad and they were like, ah, tell us more, put a sex scene. Guys, <laughs> he's five years yes. old. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Inappropriate, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, it, it was different back in those days. Yeah. Weird. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it yes. wouldn't be a new section without something from Modifius. Their Fallout Wasteland Warfare RPG, which I think we mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it I before. Think we yeah, did, yeah. Um, that's now launched in print. Mm. So you can pick that up from today. Yes. What else we got? ICV2's RPG rankings for spring 2019. Ah, bum, bum, bum. more stats. Uh, so uh, every favorite. quarter, ICV2 uh, releases its tabletop RPG rankings. D and D, no surprise, has maintained its top spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, second spot, interestingly, Starfinder has surged up to number two. Well, that's kind of nice Ooh. to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Star Wars f- uh, number three, as it seems to have been for the last two or three years now it always seems to come mm-hmm. in at number three behind D&D then Pathfinder mm-hmm. number four is Vampire 5th Edition okay yep. no, no big surprise there I don't think and mm-hmm. Pathfinder has dropped <coughs> number five well, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a big surprise when you've got a, a new edition just coming out oh, mm-hmm. sales do tend to do tend to sort of slow down a bit in the year yep. preceding that I mean that happened to D&D as well in the year preceding mm-hmm. um, I remember uh, yeah. if you two got oh Simply Six Oh, I yes, have a bit of sex. self-plugging here. Um, yes. Based on your suggestion, Peter, that I do it in a smaller notebook-sized format. Yes. Look what I have here. Ah, that looks like a That's... smaller notebook-sized format of that Simply Six. That is what I would like to describe as a smaller notebook-sized format. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased with this little thing. It's um, Ooh. you know, it's uh, it was twenty pages as a sort of normal sort of A4 size book. Mm -hmm. It was half that size, and so now it's obviously twice the number of pages because it's the same number of words. Um, mm -hmm. So it's forty-two pages, soft cover, tiny little thing. But can you make it credit card size? Really? What the entire book? <laughs> well, the, well, the, well, the character sheets, as you see there, they're basically credit card size now. They are quite small character sheets. Yeah, yeah. I do like those little. Maybe I should get some actual credit cards made. With the um, yeah, sorry, the reason we're so obsessed with character sheets on this podcast is because they're the user interface for your role-playing games. So if you want somebody to actually play your role-playing game, it's probably a good idea if they can actually read the character sheet. <laughs> Controversial, I know, but it's a stance I'm uh, firm on. Uh, yeah. It's probably the thing we like least about the new edition of Pathfinder, which is filling in Form 5062100 for the uh. <laughs> uh, for the tax office. No, sorry, sorry. Filling in the character sheet uh, is is not the most exciting thing in the world. And they chose such a lovely shade of brown. Because it my is. character sheets for Swords of the Serpentine aren't finished yet, all the character sheets, or just about all the character sheets for Gen Con, were done in Excel. So, oh, um, right, yeah. but, nice. but really, a tra <laughs> really useful, well, well designed, very, very well designed in Excel. Look, very so well. long as you've got the relevant information <laughs> where the eye goes to first, then it's probably quite well designed. So top left, you've got a lot of useful information. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. I, I think, unless either of you two can think of anything else, that might be it for the news. Yeah. Um, I was expecting, you know, I was expecting more stuff to come out at Gen Con. Oh. I could just make some up if you like. Tempting. <laughs> we are a news podcast, not a fake news podcast. We, so we, we should, should, we, we should do, do a fake news podcast. It's like each week we do a real news podcast <laughs> on a fake news podcast. I think we could go close enough to that line with the Guess the Kickstarter game. There are, uh, that is true. Anyway, uh, hey, so if we're done with the news, does this mean it's time for our favourite game in all the world? I think it Would might be. be Guess the Kickstarter game? It's time to play our favourite game It's time to play the game Our favourite game in all the world Guess the Kickstarter from just the name This is uh, Peter's favourite part of the podcast Or uh -huh. his least favourite part of the podcast It's one of those two things Yes, I've got the magic cards uh, <laughs> set. Oh no, I can tell from your face, Kev You're more of a you guy, oh man <laughs> <laughs> I remember, man, I, I had Alpha and Beta Magic the Gathering cards, boy. I wish I'd hung on to those. Yes, wow. that, would probably, that would probably be worth quite a lot of money. Yeah, now. they'd probably be worth money now, wouldn't they? Oh, quite a bit, yes. Yeah, mm. oh, yeah thousands. Never mind. Yeah, well. right, Let's play our favourite game in all the world, shall we? The game okay. where I read out the name of a Kickstarter, and you guess what it is from just the name. Okay. Have you familiar with the game? I am familiar with the game. Wonderful. In that case, well, we can jump straight title, into so you know it. the rules. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A game, a game that has the rules in the title. It looks easier. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to go first, Peter? <laughs> yes, it is traditional. Right. What is? What yes. is? Flashback RPG. Hmm. Interesting. It sounds like a. RPG that would give you a series of uh, one-off. It be so it'd be like a one-off, and it'd be like so nice evenings entertainment. And what you're doing is you're telling a story entirely through through, through flashbacks uh, because you create like a completely unrealistic situation, and then you sort of flashback to work out how you got to this like you know bizarre and horrendous situation, and then you can play through and resolve it. That's what I'll go with. Not bad. Not bad. 
Not spot on, but you're not a million miles away. I will Woo-hoo. give you 75 out of 102. Oh. Wait, oh. 102? Mm. All right. Yeah, it's all part of the process. Don't, don't, <laughs> never question the spreadsheet, Kevin. Never question the spreadsheet. <laughs> it's all the scientific. The system is out. highly scientific, Kev. You don't need to understand it. It's just, Fair enough. <laughs> it's the QI story scoring system. <laughs> Peter has scored a, minus a million points once. <laughs> that's impressive. It, it, it was fair. I was way off. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this one is it's a narrative-driven, skill-based RPG. It's an original system. Um, it's set in a steampunk fantasy world. And Ooh. what happens is you develop your character by adding to your backstory and building personality traits during play. And these these are the, the flashbacks of the title. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. I'd um, play that. So, yeah. So it uses like storytelling techniques which are inspired by tip film. I can't even talk. Uh, TV and film is what I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> okay. I said Tilm. <laughs> TV and that, film. That's film. not what you said. <laughs> what did I say? You said, tit, you said tit film. Oh, right. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> TV uh, and film. Yes. Yeah, I've gone. Yep. I totally lost Come track of what I was saying. Oh, yeah. TV and TV film. film. Um, flashbacks and you reveal events and characters from your past to enhance your skills and abilities in the present. Oh, shiny. Sorry, okay. Yeah. Little mechanic right. That sounds quite good. Good name. Good name. I got. I got quite a lot of that then. So yeah, yeah. do too badly there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Kev, right. which one? Now you've seen how it's done. I would like to go. All right then. Hooray! This one. Go it. This one is called Black, Red, White. Black, Red, White. Yes. Got it. All right. So this is clearly the game of poaching zebras in Africa. <laughs> um, you're actually. Oh, no, no, no. You're actually... The blood, Russ. The blood. And in fact, you're actually nuns. So you you are Carmelite (laughs) nuns poaching zebras in Africa, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So really, it is a a tribute to the the gore that comes from this. No, that's a horrible definition. No, No, that's bad. Let's not do that. I'm I'm Um, ashamed of you. As well, you should be. Um, uh, Let's go with a black and white horror game right sort of sort mm-hmm. of like old timey timey horror game mm-hmm. where the only real color that sort of enters the narrative is the blood of the heroes as the monster tracks them down and devours them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so do you remember myself, a little earlier when i told true. you how peter once scored minus a million points oh come on my <laughs> carmelite nuns hunting zebras was pretty good all right fine <laughs> To be fair, I don't think there's any way anyone could possibly have got this. Let's hear it. And I'll be honest, I'm reading a description and I'm still not sure I get it. So okay. okay. <laughs> there better be it's certainly zebras. interesting. I, I, it's certainly interesting. Okay. I'm hoping for newspapers, black and white and red all over. Yes. All yeah. right. Or a sunburned penguin, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or a nun running down a hill. Yeah. Right. Um. <laughs> uh, where was I? Uh, right, I got... I think rather than me try to explain it to you, because I will do so incorrectly, because I don't really understand it, I'm just going to read what it says to you. Okay. And you you can try and explain to me what it is. Okay, do it. All right. A series of three existential, experimental games inspired by colour and dreams. Okay. And They don't exist yet. I trust you. Do you trust me? No. Black is a troop-style game that uses live-action techniques and movement through physical space 
to shape a prompted investigation into a disruptive life event and the discovery of how to move on. Red is a scenario-based game that uses tight time management and physical object play to drive quick decision-making in volatile situations and then explore the impact of those decisions on relationships to others and to the self. Mm -hmm. And White is a collaborative game that uses silence, individual movement, and physical touch to ritually shape the context of the moment, discover the challenges. I don't understand what these words mean. Inherent to (laughs) the context. (laughs) I have a very simple question to test whether this is like legit. Can you pronounce the person who's doing this Kickstarter's name? Non-existent games. Uh, Nathan D. Paoletta. Paoletta. Oh, Nathan Paoletta, of course. Yeah, that's a real person, and and he's quite good. So this is almost certainly part of breaking Kickstarter. Um, Does it have a breaking Kickstarter badge? Uh, Let me open it up. Sure. Breaking Kickstarter is a push from Kickstarter to get people to create really sort of um, unusual non-traditional projects. So, for instance, I know someone who's doing a four-day Kickstarter. I saw that Um, one, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's written right at the bottom. This is a break Kickstarter project. It's right. Yep. It's buried at the bottom there. Right. So, it's... Is is Nathan Paroletta, are they part of the Nordic movement in, like, a really heavy way? Uh, I th- he's he's absolutely an indie game designer, and he's done some yeah, great yeah. stuff. I'm not sure how okay. how much he is into the sort of Nordic LARP, LARP movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this really clearly yeah. is influenced by that. So yeah, mm-hmm. so it's I mean, it's sort of at the end of the spectrum, but uh, but he does good work. Okay, okay, yeah. So so it's feasible. This might actually be worth your money because like that's because I know it sounds a lot like buzzword bingo, but actually yeah, uh-huh. that, that could be really good. If you've got something decent to work off with, and right. actually symbolism is quite strong, and so, clearly yeah. as part of Break Kickstarter, he's trying to push boundaries, so that explains oh, the, yeah, yeah. the text. No, it's it's good. Yeah. Um, uh, it's better than quite, my quite zebra game, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I don't know. I think, I think you could probably work that into. Uh, <laughs> I probably run it under Powered by the Apocalypse because that's what we do nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> if we're not sure, we just say, oh, I don't know, Powered by the Apocalypse. Yep. So, Russ, right. how many points did I get? Uh, so, I don't think it would be fair to give you minus a million because that was really, really hard. So, let's go with minus 12. Oh, that, oh I can live with that, sure. Ooh. What did you get, Peter? 75. 72, 72 or something. 75 out of 102. Oh, right, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. 75. Yeah, that sounds about right, yes. <laughs> Not that I'm keeping score. St- still, still, still in <laughs> it. Or competitive. Okay, okay. okay. Everything okay. to play for, I assure you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything could happen. Okay, yeah, Peter. Yeah. What is this? Right. Inspire an RPG of. I'm not going to say what the last two words are, though, because they will explain, yeah, explain the Kickstarter. So, Inspire. What is Inspire? <laughs> I-, I love these ones where you don't give me the title. <laughs> But the title actually explains what it is. Yes, that that's always the, the point of the game, which is that you need a good title <laughs> in order to get people to play a game. It's, it's, anyway. The title is very good for a Kickstarter, but it's not yes. so good for our game. Right. Mm. I've got a guess, but... Yeah, well, you keep your guess to yourself. That's my <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you wide your neck <laughs> I'm watching you. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Sorry. 
Come on, Peter, what is Oof. it? Right. Yes, yeah, so what's Inspire? Mm. Well, obviously there's only like one major answer, which is all about church mice, and it's sort of a, a spiritual successor <laughs> to the Red Wall books and Mouse Guard. Wow. Um, in fact, it, it, it's using the Mouse Guard system to implement the tales of church mice in an exciting 3D arena where they're like working in the spire of a church uh, with plenty of opportunity for airship travel, uh, leaping from rafter to rafter, and all sorts of swashbuckling heroics. You know what? I love that answer. I would play Thank that you. game. It's wrong, I know, but right? I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you knew it was wrong when cool. you said it. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but um, I'll, I'll give you two points just for the uh, okay. just for the fun of the answer. But, so that gives you 77 to, to catch Yeah, so the positive numbers. Okay. Uh, so what this is, is an exploratory ancient era GMless yeah. RPG where you play as powerful spirits trying to become gods. Hmm. Which is almost what you said, apart from the bit where it's totally apart different. Apart from everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. What's the full name of this? Inspire, an RPG of godly competition. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, that so you could probably leaves... give me that. I still would have got it, but yeah. Well, <laughs> that leaves one Kickstarter left. I'm excited. So the score is 77 to minus 12. So Kevin, you need to score if I uh, if my mathematics are correct, 82, 89 points. 89 points. Is that right? Sure. Why not? 84. <laughs> <laughs> 77. That is correct. Yes. 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 89. Points. <laughs> 77. 12 is 84. So if he does get 89 um, points, that you are, be... however, assuming that I'm trying to win. Go on. All right. Let's hear it. Yeah. Right then. Are you ready? I'm ready. Peter's going to love the title to this one. Unfortunately, it's not Peter's turn. Uh, that's too bad. This is called, and it's by Atlas Games, it is called Magical Kitties Save the Day. Magical Kitties Save the Day. Huh. By the way, I think your dog is chewing on something. Yes. The- uh, no, he's, uh, he's drinking water. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, good lad. So, this is going to be shocking, but I think Magical Kitties Save the Day is a game about <laughs> magical cats saving... Mm-hmm. The day. Uh, I think it is a, I don't know, I I think don't know how a game, you got that from that title. Oh, I think it is a game of feline heroics, <laughs> mm-hmm. of um, of intelligent cats doing but, their are they best. Feeling or feline heroics? Oh, I think did that. Yeah, right. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, of the uh, of mag- of magical cats who are secretly intelligent, yeah. moving around the world of humans, and um, uh, and putting the world back to its proper state. Well. You are 100% correct. You've just scored 90 points. Oh! <laughs> well, that's lucky. I think the only thing to say here is suck it, Peter. <laughs> I mean, um, th- gosh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered and, and appreciative. It does look fun. Yeah, it's yeah. got uh, troubles like witches, aliens, and hyper-intelligent mm. raccoons as the bad guys. Seems like you can't oh. trust raccoons. It's the tiny pink hands. Mm. They can pick locks. Pick locks for us. Mm. That does look the fun. Hands. Yeah. Uh, Trash pandas. Yeah, it's designed yeah. for kids as young as six years old, and also it can be played with older players, whether they're parents, babysitters, teachers, or older siblings. Delightful. Lovely. Well, right then, that is it for our favourite game in all the world, and I think Kevin won with just a whisker. A whisker. Did you get one of that? Squeaks in the bar. Play for and got. Very well done, Kevin. 
<laughs> I was up against against harsh competition, and I'm I just oh well, out. yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's always a pleasure to have people on uh, to have their to have a go at doing it. So, listeners, we're gathered here today to interview one of our frequent guests on the show. He's scaled Everest. He's travelled to the furthest reaches known to man. He's created the world's largest mousetrap. A man in need of no further introduction. The man, the myth, the legend. Listeners and listeners, Professor Victor Von Wolfhausen Smythe. <laughs> so, young man, how are you? I'm very well, Professor. Delighted as ever to have you on the show. Marvellous, marvellous. Uh, where's your friend, the good-looking chap with the scruffy beard? Morris, I'm afraid he couldn't be with us for this section. He's he's busy rescuing Hudson from a pile of flowers and toilet roll. I fear he could be some time. Oh, shame, shame. Uh, so, I expect you're wondering why I agreed to be on your little radio show again. Podcast, Professor. We're hardly pretty enough for radio. I assumed it was because you wanted to talk to us about your experiences at Gen Con. The Conference for Genetic Engineering in the Near Future? Hardly, my boy, hardly. We wouldn't want to bore your listeners by talking about that now, would we? Conference for Genetic? I thought you'd been to Gen Con. No, let me tell you about a concern of mine. I was reading on this intertubes device on one of those hard-hitting news websites, the Everyday Spud, I think it's called, or maybe it was called the Shallot. The Everyday Spud website? The Shallot? Apparently, there are hundreds of role players being abandoned. Can you imagine? Trapped! Somehow they are being lost on this cloud thing. I see? Yes, it's a tragedy of unimaginable proportions. Won't someone please think of the role players? The professor, I'm a little lost. Could you, could you elaborate a little more? Yes, well, they're all apparently gripped by... Ares, or as the Vulgate would have it, Discord, and as a result, they are actually playing on the intertubes and thus cannot be heard. Uh. I won't stand for it. Please, listeners to this most excellent radio show, I would like to raise a subscription to help the, save the role players. Any money you can spare, even as little as a farthing or a groat, will help me mount an expedition to find this cloud where Eris is holding these role players and attempt a rescue. You want to raise an expedition to rescue role players from the cloud where Eris, goddess of strife and discord, is preventing them from actually playing. Yes! That's quite correct, young man. Listeners, please send your donations to P.O. Box 30301099 with all checks made payable to save the role players. Professor von Wolfhaven Smythe, thank you very much for coming on the show. So I think we should probably, because we might forget otherwise, and that would be awful, we should get in with the uh, patrons' ask questions. Oh, yes, I actually did forget about that. Um, yes. So, <laughs> yes, so uh, what, we, what we do each week, Kev, is we ask, um, we ask our podcast listeners to give us some questions for our guests, and I am just calling that list up right now. Um, I yes. uh, unfortunately phrased the question slightly wrongly, but let's have you answer them anyway. Okay. Why not? Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. We're not. We're not saying Russ is criminally incompetent, but yeah. you think he would be better at working out <laughs> what 
what, 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 what people are going to say when he asks... Uh, Alright, here we go. So what I said was, uh, our guest today is Kevin Culp with Time Watch RPG and Pelgrane Press, plus a possible puppy. Got any questions for him, get them in here. And um, yeah, you God, they're happened. all for the puppy, aren't they? <laughs> um, we'll, um, we'll, we'll listen to be Angus fair, they're not Abramson. all for the puppy. Okay, yes, so, Ang- Angus Abramson writes in to ask, what tastes better, slippers or sandals? Oh man, slippers absolutely taste taste better, right? They've got all the sort of the accumulated fuzz, plus mm, you know foot mm. odor. While sandals really are mostly open air, they're not nearly as satisfying. They do mm. have a better chew feel, though. Mm. I guess slippers probably choice. smell worse. Don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, depending on whether you're a dog. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We also have a question from Lee Donovan, one of our yes, yes. long-time listeners. Uh, he wants to yes. know, hey, Lee. who's a good boy? Who's a good boy then? Uh, uh, so. I'm a good boy, except <laughs> I'm not, Kevin's not, but Hudson is. <laughs> Hudson is, is a good, good boy. He is a good Yeah, Ele- a good 11 person. out of 10, excellent dog. He's ignoring us right now, but he is a good boy. Um, he, he's rising above our base We, 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 we have a, a slightly more legit question from Daryl yes. our editor. Um, yeah. he, wants, he says, uh, when he first saw Time Watch's cover, he spent a bit trying to figure out what Shadowrun 2nd Edition sourcebook he'd missed in his collection... Um, he asks, was the 90s-inspired cover design style intentional because it made him take notice and filled him with nostalgia? Ah, well, first of all, that's really a question for Hudson, not me. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'll do my best. Uh, so know that um, the cover takes place at the, in the civil, during the Civil War, the Battle of Appomattox. Mm-hmm. You if know, you look I, into the I background... I just noticed that. I just noticed that, actually. I've had this book for years. I never looked... Because the, the Tyrannosaur and the people shooting at the Tyrannosaur, they sort of take my attention. I've only just noticed uh, like people having a big mosh in the background. <laughs> yes. So that is, a, that is a T-Rex incursion during the U.S. Civil War. Um, oh. the, uh, my instructions to Rich Longmore, my artist, was we, you know, this is a game where the whole real, the real joy of the game is that you can punch dinosaurs in the face. Mm. Um, and I really sort of wanted that feel, uh, that feel in the cover. So it wasn't deliberately '90s, '90s, Charlie off, you know, sort of, sort of inspired. At least not by me. It might have been by the uh, by the artist. Mm. Um, the, uh, but it's a cover that I just absolutely love. I love the cover too. I mean, mm. it's got a dinosaur. It's got two dinosaurs it, on the front. It's got I mean, two yeah. dinosaurs. It's got because this is a game where you can play a hyper intelligent psychic velociraptor. So. We want to get that across. Although I found yeah. out the other day, I think it was Peter that told me, Velociraptors are only the size of chickens, apparently. Well, so it's really the, natural, the normal Velociraptors are, but because the meteor never hit the Earth until Time Watch went back in time and made sure it did, the mm-hmm. actual Velociraptors that evolved and gained psychic abilities, those are larger. Excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. news. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, I'm glad we don't have to retroactively change that because uh, no, absolutely not. Chicken-sized I mean, velociraptors techni- with feathers doesn't really work. Exactly. I mean, technically yeah. speaking, they're called sophosaurs or philosoraptors. <laughs> eh? Eh? Right? Yeah. The, the, the knowledge lizards. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. So, time watch. Um, time did you want yes. to talk about um, Seven Time as well, or? Yeah. Uh, sure, I should. Are we still doing questions? or? Uh... Uh, no, no, we've moved questions. on now. Oh. We've done. Thank well, you very that's... much, patrons, for all your questions. We look forward to more. Let's talk about Swords of the Serpentine. It's what's been consuming yeah. me for the last couple of years, so okay. I'll be that's pretty right. excited when this comes out. 
it's currently still sort of on tap for hopefully a Christmas release. There's still a lot of work to do, especially in the art area. Uh, I've got probably 98% of the words written. I'm at the spot where I am trying to remove words, which is uh, not a bad spot yeah. to to be in, really. Uh, but between... Uh, Edit it. Cut it out until it's perfect. Uh, yes. Oh. Exactly. Well, that's... I mean, that's certainly part of it, right? Because oh. it's... You may not notice. You may notice this, but it turns out that Time Watch turned out to have a lot of words in it. It has got a lot of words in it. That's partly why uh-huh. it's so heavy, because words, as we know, have a weight. Words and have a weight. Yes. It's absolutely true, right? Uh, it's, um, quite, it's quite small. I see as well, other it? people's games. I see these incredibly yeah. elegant, lovely games that are. You have a whole game, and you know, a thousand words, mm. uh, you know, or or five thousand words. And I'm, I'm like, well, I. Like, huh, that's not my style. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, Swords of the Serpentine is a delight. So I am lucky enough to get to write for Pelgrane Press. The first thing I did for them was Owl Hoot Trail, which is a fantasy western. Um, from there, I ended up uh, pitching and then creating Time Watch. You know, we did a Kickstarter for it. It, didn't, it did just about as well, maybe a little bit less well than the one you just finished up, Russ. Um, so we took in about six figures. Mm-hmm. And the nice. mistake I made there is that we added an awful lot of words to the game during that Kickstarter in the form of stretch goals, yes. which then took much longer to create than I expected that to. That old trap. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a, it was a trap, and I fell into it, right? Yeah. I know better now. Um, but I love how the game, out, came, game, the game came out. Just about every word in that game is one I want to be there. And like the Kickstarter that Peter was describing earlier... Um, it's a game where you can use all of your sort of time travel hijinks in order to do the things that you've seen in any TV show, movie, or book. So you can absolutely, if you've been taken captive by the bad guy um, and don't have been disarmed, you can say, well, tomorrow I'm going to show up here and duct tape a pistol to the underside of this table. Mm-hmm. You make your preparedness yeah, test, I, and as I long as you're successful and you so haven't fun. looked under the yeah. t- table, you've got a pistol there. Yeah. What's um, that? Bill and Ted, wasn't it? Who did that? that yeah, well, they, that they was Bill didn't and do Ted. it first, but they did it most famously. <laughs> right. So, for yeah. instance, in one particular game that I remember, they, the heroes, the agents, pushed a bad guy out a window, went back in Ooh. time, stole a pickup truck, filled the back of the pickup truck with bear traps, and parked the pickup truck <laughs> underneath the window. Ow. Um, leading to the phrase, when you have a time machine, every problem looks like a pickup truck full of bear traps. <laughs> That's not a good way to go. Well, they deserved it. <laughs> um, it was so anyways, um, so it's, it's a game which really, I think more so than many of sort of uh, Pelgrim's gumshoe line, sort of embraces that action dynamic. Uh, Ken Height with the super spy vampire game, Knights Black Agents, was the first person who really took this sort of horror-focused investigative game and turned it into a really fun action game. And oh. Time Watch sort of takes that and runs with it. Swords of the Serpentine does that even more so. Um, what I'm doing here, I was, so I was listening to a podcast with uh, Epidiah Ravishal, and that's a guy who designed Dread and, uh, uh, and designed a really pretty spectacular narrative-based swords and sorcery game. And I was listening to a podcast with him thinking, man, you can never hack Time Watch into that. And by the end of the podcast, I'm like, oh, wait, I totally could. And then on my drive home, I drove past the correct road twice because I was thinking too hard about the game. (laughs) Um, So the big challenge there for me is that 
I think arguably the the weakness with sort of traditional gumshoe games is that the combat system hasn't been really exciting. And if you've got a swords and sorcery game, what you want is you want a really satisfying epic cinematic style combat system. So a big chunk of the development time was making sure that that works. And I, and I love the result. Um, we ran five different adventures at Gen Con this year. Uh, feedback from those has been really good. The yep. uh, feedback in general from the playtest has uh, been better than I could possibly have dreamed. And so it's, I think it's just about right on track for wh what we want and where we want it. So now it's just a question of finishing the art, finishing the editing, and uh, getting it out to folks. Is this going to huh. be a Kickstarter or is that going It to is not going to be a Kickstarter. It's going to be traditionally okay. published by Pelgrane with pre-orders. Nice. Uh, I've been doing monthly blog entries for about the last eight or nine months mm -hmm. on their CPageXX blog on the Pelgrane Press website talking about it. Um, what, so there's sort of two parts of this, right? There's the mechanics and the setting. The setting I co-developed with Emily Dresner, who you may also know as Multiplexer. She wrote this really astonishing oh, series yes. of blog posts on Dungeonomics. critical hits. Yes. yes. Dungeonomics. Oh, those are so awesome. They are like amazing. It's like <laughs> just changed a lot of the way I think about games. Well, so the secret here, Peter, yeah. is that when you write something, mm -hmm. hire somebody who's smarter than you are and better at it. Mm, um, yeah. And that's Emily. She's delight. She's amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, so, I, 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 can't, I can't really disagree. She's like smarter yeah. than me by like yeah. quite some way. So our, our setting in uh, Swords of the Serpentine is in the city of Eversink, which sits at the base of a huge river, sort of in the river delta itself. Um, mm -hmm. It's got something of a Venetian feel in the sense that it's on scores of islands connected by canals mm -hmm. and bridges. And the, there's three things about the city that make it interesting. Number one is the city is always sinking and no one knows why. It's been around for about a thousand years and Ooh. you lose eh, maybe a couple millimeters uh, or a couple centimeters uh, a year as the buildings are slowly sinking down into the ground. So you lose about a story off a given building per generation. Right. Um, no one knows why. But what this means that over the thousand year history of the city is that as people have continued to build on top of the roofs as buildings yeah. slowly sink, is up, the city's so, yeah. a lot like an iceberg, right? So you've got a certain amount above ground, but if you have the right abilities, you can make your way through the city to the undercity and oh. through all those years of history that are down below ground, some of which are flooded and, co and covered and, and filled with mud, but not all of them. Wow. No. Right? So that's one thing. The second thing. Be careful thing, about hitting things with a hammer, <laughs> in case you suddenly find yourself drowned under the deluge of like uh, frozen mud. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Um, solid. So the second thing is that the patron goddess of the city is the god Denari, the goddess of commerce and civilization, and the city is the goddess, and the goddess is the city. When you're in the city, you're literally inside of Denari's body. And so every single coin coin that gets exchanged is a prayer to her. Are they the denarius by any chance? Uh, they're not oh. the denarius, though I oh. probably should rename it. Uh, <laughs> because of the sort of abstract wealth system, we have an incredibly complicated and unmemorizable uh, um, series of coins. Because we don't want people to get hung up on how many actual coins you're carrying. We just care about how much wealth you have. Mm. Uh, but what that means is that sort of the health of the goddess is dependent on how well the city is doing commerce-wise. Uh, the reason that sorcery, because we want in any kind of good swords and sorcery um, story, sorcery magic 
tends to be kind of evil, right? It's mysterious. You don't really know where it comes from. It, so we want that. So the very act of creating powerful sorcerer spells burns away Denari's blessing. Basically, it carves a hole in her body. And so doing that is illegal. Um, and it's feasible that somebody could kill the goddess by doing that. There's also, it's also a world of small gods. So you may, um, as a sorcerer, you may have a demon inside of you sharing your soul. You may have promised to venerate some tiny ancient god that, who just has a single altar out in the swamp. Um, and by doing so, you try to make it more powerful without coming underneath Denari's gaze. And the third thing is that the city is filled with statues, hundreds of thousands of statues. And the reason is you can't really bury bodies when you're in a swamp um, or near a swamp because if there's a flood and the city floods all the time, you know, the, the graves sort of wash away. And so as a result, it doesn't matter too much what happens to your corpse. What matters is someone cares enough about you to make a funerary statue for you after you die. This might be a tiny little mud daub statue, or it might be a 20-foot tall bronze behemoth in the middle of a square. But as long as that statue exists, your soul is guaranteed a place in heaven. And if anything happens to it, then either your soul dissipates or it returns back into the world as a ghost. And so the city is filled with these statues. And... There's a spirit world sort of parallel to the, to the actual ones where these ghosts sort of cohabit and coexist. Um, there's a theory, whether it's true or not, is up to the GM, that actually there's no such thing as ghosts. They're actually uh, Denari's memory of what that person was like during life. And so when you use your abilities to travel into the spirit world, you can literally walk through time and watch the ghosts of buildings rising and falling around you as you walk through the goddess's memory. Um, the cities, there's lots of politics. I'm a big fan of po sort of political manipulation and game. So built into the game mechanics, um, there's 12 or so different major factions that jockey for power inside of the city. You're allied to one or two of those, and you have at least one that opposes you. And you can use the, that knowledge and those connections to manipulate things within the adventure itself as you try to pull strings and get people to help you or... You know, or the people who are angry at you try to track you down. Is that like the players have one or two factions, has a group that like them, and no. one enemy it, or every individual character? Every individual character. Right. And so sometimes okay. those factions will, uh, will match up really nicely. Sometimes they oh. won't, right? Oh. But it means that I can pull in a really easy B plot as compared to my A plot in an adventure as somebody's enemy... Uh, or something that, that a player or a character wants from one of those factions comes after them to get it. So Emily did a huge chunk of the setting, and I love it. The game is designed to support primarily kind of classic swords and sorcery tropes. Uh, with While it's got a big chunk of sort of investigation being a gumshoe game, it's really action-focused. And so the investigative abilities that you find so, in so, Gumshoe... So it's would, a sort ahead, of fantasy yeah. game. Sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt. No, no, like, no, please do. The yeah. proper trope would be something like, so you could have a party where nobody can do any magic. And that would be... Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, that'd yeah. be sort of even encouraged by the setting, I think. Yeah, that, that would be fine. Um, you can also... So the, the characters are based on archetypes. And you can stay within your archetype and get a bonus build point, or you can branch out across multiple archetypes to pick and choose. It's a game where the players have a huge amount of narrative control. So as to give you an example, one of the abilities in uh, 
for one of one of the classes classes is laws and traditions. So if you have a rank in laws and traditions, you know the laws and traditions of the of the setting and of the religion. But you can spend that point in order to make up a law or a tradition that stays true for the rest of the campaign. Mm-hmm. So you have a huge amount of narrative control, even at a time that it immediately benefits you by spending that point, in order to make up make up a law that works in your favor. So it's a kind of a retrospective thing then as well. Yeah, absolutely. This again, um, like Time Watch, I think my favorite ability in Gumshoe is the preparedness ability, mm. which mm. says we're not going to worry about gearing up. If I need a thing, I'll roll a preparedness test, and, so and if I succeed, yeah. I have it with me. But yeah. if you've got, if you're an expert in preparedness, if you have eight ranks or more, you get the flashback ability, which lets you say, "Oh, I had you know I had this all along, or this other thing happened." Yeah. Remember Lord of the Rings when Frodo gets stabbed in the chest by the cave troll? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sam, so he, when that happened, Frodo wasn't wearing his mithril armor. Sam used his flashback ability from preparedness to de- to declare that Frodo actually had was wearing the right. mithril armor. Yeah. It's raining all the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's right. So that's the sort of thing you can do. Mm. Um, okay. Can you talk a, a little bit about Gumshoe itself? Yeah, yeah. I probably um, should have. I think there'll be plenty that. of people here who aren't necessarily familiar with the with the system. Yeah, okay, I've never so actually he, played it. I've only read about it. So. All right, I should have led with that. So here's the idea yeah. behind Gumshoe. It is more fun, Gumshoe predicates, um, to be able to find something out and then figure out how that fits into the plot than it is to roll and fail to find something out. Ah, Um, This really came into play with Call of Cthulhu, right? Where somebody rolls your spot hidden, and everybody at the table fails, and then the GM has to figure out how to get everybody to roll spot hidden again. Now, that's less of an issue nowadays with the more recent additions, but for a long time, it was a... So I'd say it was a flaw with BRP. In role-playing games in general, and that's Mm -hmm. why Gumshoe's been so revolutionary with the fail-forward idea, which... Mm -hmm. Know, despite never having played it, I'd say it's like this is something I've incorporated into my thing. Kind of like, that's an amazing idea. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm interested. So I really like that about it. And so what that means is that you're basically your abilities are split into two different chunks. You've got your general abilities, which are the things that you use to uh, for action, right? Your fighting, the things you use to fight or cast spells, athletics to climb buildings or chase things, burglary to pickpockets. And those are things that you can fail, fail at, absolutely. But you also have your investigative abilities. And these are abilities that if you have them and you use them to try to find out a lead or a clue, you're going to be successful. You don't need to roll. You don't need to spend anything. If you have that ability, you're going to find something out if there's something to find. But you can also, if you choose, spend those points to get cool stuff. You don't stop being good at the thing just because you spent the point, but you can only spend that point once in the game. Let me give you an example. Everyone's seen James Bond, right? So James Bond has a bunch of points of charm. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If James Bond is at a party and he dances with and flirts with the girlfriend of the archvillain, she's going to give him a clue. Oh, he doesn't okay. need to spend anything, right? He's, the player says, I'm using charm to find out, to, to learn something. And the GM gives him in some, some clue or hook. So, but James Bond can spend a point of charm and the girlfriend will go to bed with him and give him a clue. He can spend two points of charm, and she will fall in love with him, betray her boss at some point, and then get killed. Or he can spend three points of charm, she falls in love with him, betrays her boss at the best possible time, and lives to the end credit. Ah, uh, nice, nice. Right. So okay, there's, sort of our, there's sort of our scale there. Uh, mm-hmm. And Gumshoe is usually split between different categories, um, usually... 
sort of the interactive abilities, the, the, um, the social abilities, things like interrogate and whether or not you can tell if somebody is lying and whether or not you can taunt someone and basically make them monologue at you. Um, <laughs> charm is part of those things, whether you're trustworthy, those sorts of things. And then the other piece of the investigative side is your uh, sort of the, the things that you know. Um, in Time Watch, that was split between sort of the book learning you have, the action-based stuff that you know how to do, and your interpersonal abilities. In Swords of the Serpentine, it's split between your social abilities and then your class abilities. So as an example, the sorcerer class, all the, in Serpentine, all the uh, classes have four different abilities. For the sorcerer, for instance, it's prophecy, where you have the ability to see into the future, past or present. It's um, corruption, which lets you pull sorcerous magic from the other world to create incredible, uh, incredibly powerful and very dangerous spells. Although, if you try and do that in front of the city authorities, they will come down on you like a ton of bricks. That is true. So only if you externalize it, right, and it burns away the areas around you, you also can internalize it instead. And the Ooh. only game mechanic of that is something changes on your body. Oh. Um, you know, maybe one of you, maybe you get a hideous mole on the back of your neck. Maybe one of your eyes turns into a slit. Extra tentacles. And, uh, and whether or not you make a particular um, check, if you're successful in making a check when that happens, depends on whether that change on your body is noticeable or not. When you look at something like Fafford and the Grey Mouser and Ningobble of the Seven Eyes has seven eyes and wears a hood all the time, right? He was pretty careless about his sorcery corruption. He was. And has big trouble finding sunglasses as a result. Well, you're not wrong, right? Yeah. Um, the, uh, and the other two, yeah. I think, are leechcraft, which is the basically you know how poisons and disease work, and you can either poison people or give them diseases if you choose. And forgotten lore, which is the ability to know things that other people won't know. And you can spend points of forgotten lore to establish a fact is true. Don't be stupid, Russ. Everyone knows that on midnight, you know, when there's a full moon and it's high tide, horses can talk. Everyone knows yeah. that. And so for the rest of the campaign, horses can talk at midnight at high tide. When they're, there's a full they're, not, moon. they're not fascinating conversation, Russ. I, I, I don't know why I loved it so much, but, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, kind so of, you, it's kind of like the preparedness thing and the um, time watch uh, Bill and Ted thing and this. I just yep. love this idea of sort of retrospective narrative control in games. I think uh, it's such fun. It plays into the type of game I really love. Um, so, for instance, um, the, the Thief class has abilities like scurrilous rumors. So you can pick up rumors um, that are going around the city, but you can spend those points to spread rumors about other people. Ridiculous luck. Skullduggery to find out information by illegal means. Mm. Stuff like that. Mm. So what's the sort you of know, range? this plays into the kind of game I like, so well, that's what I went with. So what's the sort of range of characters you play in Serpentine? So you've got a huge range, um, and it's affected by a couple of different things. Um, you may want sort of traditional swords and sorcery characters, mm. um, where, you know, whether you're taking that model from Fafford and the Grey Mouser, or Conan, or the... Um, the black company, right, with more oh, of a mercenary yeah. approach, because yeah. yeah. mercenaries are one of the one of the political factions in the city. You could pretty easily do, and I've done it in one of the Gen Con games, um, like Ankhmore Pork City Watch, without a, without any problem whatsoever. Copy code on the, the rest. In my own personal um, playtest game that I'm running here, um, the characters are uh, what are called freelance slinks. Basically, they're private investigators who are taking jobs for people that uh, can't be solved any other way. 
And so there's sort of a range of down and out, untrustworthy sorcerers and a former uh, church inquisitor, mm. Mm. Um, the uh, somebody's enforcer, you know, big and big and burly and pretty dangerous, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a big range. You know, my secret, <laughs> every time I make a game, I have a secret design goal. Time Watch's secret oh. design goal was so that someone could run Buckaroo Banzai for me. <laughs> the secret design goal here is that you could actually steal the sorcery system, which may be worth talking about, and run Avatar The Last Airbender games. Okay. Oh, um, now I'm saying forward. You got the yeah. attention, please. So there's two things yeah. about the rules that I think are pretty cool. That are, uh, one thing is that in addition to your health, you also have morale as one of your defenses. And so you can, by attacking somebody's morale, you can Uh defeat a bad guy without ever laying a finger on Mm. them. We've had games where the bad guy has been sitting on the floor, crouched, lamenting their life choices, (laughs) completely unhurt. Um, Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, It's a psychological victory. But if you think about it, right, um, when you look at um, The Hobbit, when Smog... Uh, when Bilbo is invisible and Smog is trying to use his draconic wiles to talk Bilbo out into the open, mm-hmm. yeah. he's making a sway attack against Bilbo's morale. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? So I wanted a way in order to model that, and I really like the results there. Mm. Um, that sounds good. Yeah, so that's, uh, so that's part of it. The other thing that I really find a lot of fun is the sorcery system, because mm-hmm. basic sorcery does the same amount of damage anything else does, right? Stabbing someone with a sword or trying to make a sway attack against their morale. Yeah. But you've got spheres that are um, that sort of have a theme attached to them, and mm-hmm. you describe all your sorcery within that theme. So, for instance, if my theme was rats... Yeah, uh, and you have one one ba- one one sphere or one theme for every point of corruption you have. It might it was rats and flesh manipulation. I would probably be attacking somebody's health when I attacked them, and when I use my sorcery against them, I could describe that as rats swarm out from the corners to attack them, or I try to turn their body inside out. Um, or you create or, a giant you know, rat golem to go forth and attack them. Mm. Exactly, right? And it doesn't sort of matter what it is that I describe. I've got a mechanical effect that's dictated by the game rules, and then everything else is based on my, yes, my imagination. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And so the result of that is that everybody's spells are not always the same. They may do similar damage, but you describe it the way you imagine it happening. Now, I do enjoy that. I mean, I've used something yeah. very similar in that Simply Six thing, actually. It's... Um, Oh, good. You, you basically yeah. choose a, a theme to your spells, then anything you do is just, you describe it within that. Perfect. Yeah, exactly the same yeah, thing. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a wonderful, it's such a flexible and wonderful way of doing it as well. <laughs> well, I like it because it, it shoves that control into the player's yeah, hand, exactly. not the GM's hand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of going back to all this sort of uh, player narrative stuff, I suppose, isn't it? It's uh, shunting a lot, of the, a lot of the narrative control from the rule system onto the player sure. themselves. Exactly. You know, one of the things I usually say when someone says, so what's the building look like? I'm like, I don't know. You tell yeah, me. Yeah. Like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, so they can describe yeah, it however I, they want it. I never used to do anything like that. And it's only in the last, probably the last couple of years I've started doing that in games. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not sure where I picked that up from. Uh, maybe. Yeah, it didn't come from D&D, but I think like Feng, Robin Law's The Feng Shui. Yeah, maybe. Um, the Hong Kong martial art games, that does a great job with it. I think I may have seen it. some live streamers doing it, maybe, or something like that. Okay. And it ju- I just suddenly occurred to me, why have I not always been doing that? It's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it creates player buy-in, is what it yeah. does, because people feel oh. invested in the exactly, world. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, players love just inventing stuff. They, uh, mm. Mm. 
Not all of them, but um, it definitely yeah. can be quite fun. Yeah, right. I mean, some players just like get quite offended. Like, mm-hmm. why, why are you asking me to do stuff? I'm like, sure. not here for that. You're the yeah. GM. You tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never come across. And that. I think that's valid, yeah. right? If someone yeah. feels that way, I'll just, I'll just pick up that, pick up that uh, responsibility instead. Yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, what is it when, about Gumshoe in particular that you kind of think makes it? suitable especially for say time watch and serpentine what's the say as opposed to say using a i don't know a d20 system or using uh, basic role playing sure. or anything else um so it's a game system that presumes competence uh john rogers from leverage used the phrase competence porn where it's people who are really good at their job doing their job really well and that's what you get in most traditional sword and sorcery um, stories. It's not the sort of fledgling adventurers who are then gaining power. We'll it's people who are already yeah. pretty decent. Yeah. Um, and I've got rules for playing sort of the the fledgling characters as well as the the uh, the older and more and more powerful characters as well, and flipping back and forth between those in different adventures, which is kind of cool. Um, but that is the thing that I like about Gumshoe. It presumes competence. And by spending those investigative points, and in this game, in Serpentine, you can use it to do more damage and to create any number of pretty cool effects, um, you get to basically you know, kick some ass in a way that's defined by you against some reasonably tough foes. I like that a lot. There's a mechanic, one of the big complaints, I think, um, or one of the challenges is that because it was originally designed as a horror game, Gumshoe, ha- you, your competence ablates, right? It gets worse as you spend points if you don't have a chance to refresh those points. Uh, Both Time Watch and Swords of the Serpentine have a mechanic in place for refreshing the general ability points. And in Swords of the Serpentine, it's when you defeat foes, you get some points back. I want the feel of Conan cutting his way across a battlefield and with every mook that he drops, he gains the ability to chop down through more mooks. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's like proper thing for style thing, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the sort of adventures you'd be having? I mean, talk about Time Watch and Swords of the Serpentine, mm. actually, because I think some of the ideas of adventures that you might have in Time Watch are such fun. That, um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, love to, I'd like, to, like to sort sure. of delve into that for a little bit, if we could. Yeah, let's do that. So they're, so they're different, right? Um, Time Watch adventures are much more of a mystery or, or tend to be more of, a, more of a mystery. So here's an example. One of the Time Watch adventures, you start off and it turns out that during the Bay of Pigs, when the U.S. and the USSR fought over Cuba, um, in the real world, what happened was that John F. President Kennedy was able to defuse that. Um, He called the Soviet Union's bluff. They backed down. Well, one of the adventures that I wrote starts with... The um, with that not working at all right. and a massive nuclear exchange happening and millions of people dying. So you as time agents are sent back to figure out what happened. Uh, and what you find out is that the reason that went badly is that President Nixon screwed it up. And you think, huh, Nixon wasn't president. Mm-hmm. And so you go try to figure out uh, with your time machine what happened to Kennedy. It turns out that Kennedy is a barber in South Boston. So you go get your hair cut by John Kennedy um, and he tells you that, you know, he had political aspirations, but his family was poor and never had a chance to send him to college. So you think, huh, what happened? And what you find out is that uh, Kennedy's dad, Joe Kennedy, at least according to legend, made his initial stake of money that he invested in Hollywood by bootlegging during the U.S. prohibition. And the bad guys, in order to make sh- the bad guys in that adventure are uh, mutant radioactive cockroaches from the future. 
who are trying to bring out nuclear war, like one does. Yep. And the bad guys yeah. in that adventure have gone back to the late 1800s to a massive temper to a very important temperance worker to influence her into being pro-alcohol instead of anti-alcohol. <laughs> and so prohibition never happens. Right. And so Kennedy doesn't become president. And so we get a nuclear exchange during the Bay of Pigs. So you basically unravel that, then go back to the late 1800s to, uh, to carry nation who is a six-foot-tall temperance worker known for going into saloons and smashing them up with axes. Mm -hmm. um, and you uh, basically inter interfere with her wedding to make sure that the shape-shifted giant uh, radioactive mutant cockroach from the future doesn't yeah. mess things up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So she literally had a vision from God in 1899 telling her that she should be anti-alcohol. And the bad guys try to make sure that that vision from God is pro-alcohol instead, yeah, and you've yeah. got to fix it. Right? So, so this is the sort of thing you do. You take yeah. historical nonsense, you change something, you figure out what happened, and you let your character, let your players figure mm. that out. Um, whole lot of fun. In Serpentine, it's going to be different because we're looking for a more traditional fantasy adventure. But it turns out that even in all of your classic fantasy stories, there's still a ton of investigation. Uh, so in comparison, right, uh, so of the five adventures of Swords of the Serpentine that ran at Gen Con, one of them, the adventure that's in the core book, um, the heroes discover that somebody is stealing corpses oh. um, and bringing them into the bad part of the city, and no one is quite sure why. And they end up having to deal with somebody who, I don't want to give too much away, right, but is possessed by, uh, whether it's a small god or something else, something very, very bad. And he's creating something really horrible out of those corpses. And the reason has a lot to do with how his family was treated in the past. So you need to unravel the politics while you're figuring out what's going on and then either stop him or stop what he's doing in order to prevent a disaster. One of the adventures... All of the heroes are basically uh, homeless children who are living in the city. That adventure is called Ragamuffins. And um, your, your sort of crappy, um, half-sunken home is robbed while you're out trying to uh, steal food. And not only do, the, do whoever robbed it take all of your stuff, they take a very special sentimental lantern that you have hanging there. And that lantern turns out to be a sorceress item that has a huge amount of power. And you have to figure out who stole your stuff, why they stole it, and steal it back from them. The, uh, which may or may not necessitate a trip down into the Undercity to deal with creatures that are not necessarily human. One of the adventures, everybody plays members of the City Watch. When a noble is killed and their body dumped in the bad section of town, you have 24 hours to figure out who killed them and why. Um, the, uh, or else uh, there's someone's threatening civil war. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's an adventure that I ran which didn't run at Gen Con called The Winding Tower, where you're members of a mercantile house who's gone out, who's left the city. Why the God's name would you want to leave the city? But you've <laughs> left the city um, uh, and have gone out into the jungle to find ancient pre-human ruins mm. Mm. Um, and the things that are hidden there so that hopefully you can, you can bring back what's there and make a huge amount of money off of it. But of course, nothing's ever that simple. Of course not. I will point out that one thing I like about this, because I tend to want to get people to the plot, when you're traveling, you have the option of doing a travel montage. Okay. And by a travel montage, what I do is I say, okay, Peter, yep. tell me something 
that happened, right? Something bad, some kind of challenge or danger that happened during during your travel. And then yeah, I say, well, hey, Russ, make it worse. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we were trying to cross a canal, uh, but we found that the uh, bridge was like somebody had stolen all the wood from the footpath across the middle of the bridge. Mm. Right. It's like, yeah, Russ, make it worse. And then I add the sharks. <laughs> exactly. And the canal is full of sharks. It's like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> <laughs> and then you can either play that out or a third person, if you're trying to get a feel for what the, the journey was like without spending a lot of time on it, a mm-hmm. third person at the table can then tell you how you managed to get around that or how yeah, you managed to goodness, solve that. Right? Thank goodness there was that yep. pogo stick vendor nearby. I mean, although, okay. actually now I'm thinking about it, maybe, maybe the pogo stick vendor was responsible for stealing the wood. Ah, sorry. Um, yeah, pogo sticks? Well, anyways. The, uh, <laughs> what is Barge poles, there you, you get, go. You get you the idea. Right? So, what we, um, in my game recently, um, the heroes um, were asked to investigate a warehouse fire, and it turns yeah. out that the warehouse was full of an addictive drug. Oh. Uh, they turned out that they were hired by the crime family that is... Uh, vending that addictive drug to find oh. out why it got who who did it yeah. and track down the person. Uh, it turns out that um, the drug itself. Uh, so one of the things, and if you're listening, if you're in my game, you probably shouldn't hear this. Nah. Uh, <laughs> one of the things in the city down deep, somewhere deep, deep in the undercity, there is a fungus there, a sentient fungus, nice. a huge, huge sentient fungus. Um, that um, basically sends out spores into the canals and tries to uh, infest and infect people with those spores, turning them into its slaves. And they probably aren't going to get activated, but slowly spores start growing inside of their body and it can activate them at any time. Anyways, the fungus has managed to co-opt this crime family and all of the addictive drug is full of spores. And so... The, when the heroes find the person who did this, who's like a young noble kid who happens to have prophecy. And um, he hasn't been identified by the church, so the church hasn't brought him in as an official church seer. So he's kind of left out there on his own, is, is pretty scared. But he got a vision about how horrible this drug was and what it was doing to people, so he tried to destroy it. Yeah. Uh, and sadly, the heroes in my game, not knowing this, Turned him into the crime family. <laughs> well, they are getting paid. Yeah, it's not a nice place. But you get yeah. the feel, yeah, right? Yeah. So there's uh, a lot yeah. of different types of adventures you can have. really, really fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I could laugh. Yeah. yeah. So that's coming out later this year, you said? So the goal is, I, I think the goal is Christmas time. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I am not in charge. So do not quote me on that. I'm not in charge of the production schedule. And uh, there's still lots to do. Mm-hmm. But word-wise, we're in pretty good shape. So okay, so we should we should wrap up. Is there anything else that uh, that you guys want to know about me or Time Watch or Serpentine? Um, I was, yeah, I wanted to talk a bit more about Time Watch very very briefly um, about sure. uh, sort of future support for Time Watch. Is there is there any more planned? Are you planning on writing any more? Oh sure, I absolutely want to. It's just a matter of yeah. time. My focus this year has been getting Swords of the Serpentine out the yep. door. The um, I have a whole sort of adventure path dealing with dinosaurs mm-hmm. mapped out Ooh. for time watch uh, and you know in part of it right it's a question of how much demand there is for it 
My guess is that after Serpentine comes out, if people like that, because that's going to have a higher profile than Time Watch did, uh, my guess is that Serpentine is going to drive more Time Watch sales as well, which will create more of a demand for an additional adventure path. Uh, and that would be pretty fantastic. It would be. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 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 But right now, right, it's, um, it's my focus is on getting sort of the Serpentine out so that, that while it's going, I can do other yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for coming on, Kev. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. This has been a delight. Thank you both so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, it's been a pleasure, as always, to have uh, Kevin on the podcast. Uh, that's it for me, Russ. And that's goodbye from me, Peace Coffee, from the Southampton Guild of Role Players. And that's goodbye from Kevin as Lovely. well. Thank you very much. Bye. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here.